to the Ipso podcast. This is a podcast for anyone that's interested in journalism, newspaper and magazines, how the media is regulated and of course Ipso's work. My name is Vicky and I'm your host and I'm joined today by our podcast perennial head of standards, Charlotte Irwin. And we have a special guest with us today, Danielle Parker, who is from our Readers Advisory Panel. Hello. So, Danielle, for people that don't know what Ipsos Readers Advisory Panel is, tell us a little bit about what they do. We provide a a general perspective on key themes and issues um, that are perhaps affecting um, people who are complaining to Ipso. And we also advise on the likes of the public information leaflet. We all read very different things and have very differing opinions. Um, We have members from... Manchester, people who are retired, um, people working public, private sector. So it's it's a really good spread, actually. It's kind of very interesting when we're talking about media literacy, because, of course, there are so many different definitions of what this actually means. But I think something that brings everything together is kind of trying to enable kind of citizens and society to navigate the kind of the modern news environment in a way so not just kind of newspapers and magazines but social media and things that they're reading on the internet and trying to help them to make informed decisions and think critically about what they're they're seeing and what they're reading I'm interested to hear um from both of you um what media literacy means to you yeah, I think it's a really interesting idea. And I think it's really important to be clear that we're not... That for me, I think media literacy isn't about saying that everybody should read one kind of newspaper or rely on one kind of magazine or one kind of source. It's really about, I think, just helping people to navigate the hugely complex, varied and frankly messy media landscape in which we are all now consuming news, opinion, content, all of that, um, which is just so very varied to the way perhaps it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. So it's about really trying to help navigate that complexity. And for me, I think it's also about just trying to help readers a bit when they're reading something to think, okay, where's this come from? What do I think of it? And kind of, can I trust it? And I don't think that's a framework that needs to be applied to every single article ever written. You know, we all enjoy the articles about top 50 dogs pulling funny faces, things like that. We certainly do. Those are the classic kind of articles. And we all love those sorts of things. But I think really it's about thinking particularly where you're seeing reporting on perhaps contentions or challenging issues I think it's about helping readers to understand what they're reading and helping them to engage with it in a more sort of full and rounded way. Is that something that you would agree with Danielle? First up I I would say that um, as delighted as I was to be asked to contribute to this podcast the first thing I did was google media literacy and make sure that it it meant what what I what I thought it meant and in a very scientific straw poll of my friends um, that they also uh, agreed that it's perhaps not something that's that's very high upon the agenda i think we all like to think that we're relatively sophisticated in terms of navigating the 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 different bias that different outlets might have but i think as charlotte said the landscape now is so overwhelming that ultimately we could all do with being a little bit better about the types of media that we're confronted with on a on a daily basis through varying channels and actually looking at a number of those those channels in preparation for this talk, I was quite surprised by how I myself um, had a, a characteristic to be 
um, seeing is believing, they say, mm-hmm. and ultimately um, what's happening in order to, to help increase awareness about that. Because, mm, I mean, the, the ability to kind of critically analyse and evaluate what you're seeing perhaps on the internet, yeah. um, in across various other newspapers and stuff, it can be really hard, can't it? I mean, we, I mean, fake news is a term that, you know, has been chucked around for quite a while now, but, I mean, how how do you even know, as a reader now, you know, what is, what is true, what is false, what, and, you know, one of the ways that I know that um, it kind of helps me to navigate this whole landscape is that I'm always kind of looking for you know, something that has been produced to kind of a set of standards which I can recognise. Yeah, and I realise this isn't a philosophical podcast, but we can have a whole <laughs> many series of podcasts on the nature of truth and falsehood and kind of come to differing opinions on that. I think this, yeah, this is really difficult. And you're also, I think as, as everybody sort of talked about, you're asking people to wade through a morass of information, frankly, and do so whilst recognising that, I was interested really, Danielle, that your friend said that this wasn't kind of high on the agenda, that there's just so much other stuff going on right now. Mm-hmm. And also, but... But having said that, actually, so much of that stuff, whether it's Brexit or kind of uh, terrorism or kind of lots of different political opinions, there is an interplay between what we're reading and what we're seeing and what people are thinking and doing. So this is really, really important to have to try to equip readers to give them at least some kind of basic framework or kind of just a couple of key questions just to ask yourself when you're looking at content just to sort of say is this trustworthy should I be you know can I read it if I read it what should I do with it those sorts of things Mm. I mean a a question I'm really interested in is is media literacy just an individual responsibility because we've all talked about our own approaches Mm. to media literacy which um I guess are, are a little bit different but I mean as well as us as individuals critically kind of evaluating things, what role do other organisations and people Mm. play? And should it really just be on solely the individual? So I think that ultimately the responsibility rests with the individual because it's, it's about what you're reading. But ultimately these tech giants do have a responsibility to make sure that the information appearing on their sites is is something that they are ultimately responsible for um because we we, we've seen the consequences of of that that going very wrong you know post-truth was the 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 word of the the year i think a couple of years back and, and and ultimately um sort of distrust of institutions is something that's that's also an an increasingly present theme especially talking in terms of uh, Brexit and elections, as, as Charlotte mentioned, but we are a society now who takes our health advice from Instagram influencers, and I think that is ultimately a, a, a real issue when it comes to promoting um, real, actual scientific news. So, yes, I, I, I think that there is a real responsibility. You know, ultimately, we are all responsible for how we read and engage with content and what we share and kind of what we do as a result of it. But I think it's interesting, Danielle, you talked about the technology giants. You know, we can all, I think, probably agree that 
platforms like Facebook and others are always constantly playing catch up because the system, the way in which they develop the system, you know, to make it very attractive to people who are engaging with it, to develop algorithms that fed you content were perhaps not developed in a way that allowed them to really foresee the sorts of ways in which their platforms might be used now or the way in which people might manipulate those platforms to their benefit. So I think they're always playing catch up. But I do think this is a system and organisation and individual responsibility. So sorry, that's not a clear answer to your question, Vicky. <laughs> but I think that's the truth. You know, just as individuals have responsibility for what they read and see, so as you said, Danielle, te- technology platforms do as well. But I think also newspapers and magazines and organizations like IPSO and regulators of content, uh, other re- other regulators of content like Ofcom and the ASA and so on, we all have a part to play in making sure that readers are aware of kind of where to go for quality content, understand how the system of regulation works, and that steps are taken to address content which is inaccurate or kind of which might otherwise be a breach in some way of kind of a regulatory set of standards. Mm, Absolutely. I mean, um, following up on that, with Facebook, like it or lump it, it's recognised as a, a trustworthy Source. I'm um, thinking back to the particularly famous example um, featuring um, fake advertisements um, of investment opportunities, supposedly from money-saving experts Martin Lewis. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, um, in that in that case, ultimately settled out of court. Um, Facebook did accept some responsibility for not removing those um, advertisements when it was recognised that 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 they were a were false the asa would be responsible for maintaining that um claims are substantiated in advertisements that appear on billboards or in in papers and yet on facebook there is a system in which algorithms cannot cope with the display of false information and therefore Mm. i think that's where their responsibility comes into play Mm. i mean Something that, um, as we're discussing, this is coming through very clearly for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the, kind of the sheer complexity of mm-hmm. the landscape. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we have advertising, mm-hmm. broadcast, mm-hmm. the internet, yeah. newspapers, and kind of all of these things. Uh, some are regulated, some mm-hmm. are not. There are different mm-hmm. regulators. Mm-hmm. I mean, as well as kind of you know, being able to make informed decisions about kind of what content you're accessing and mm. how much you trust it. Um, I think it's really important also for people to have a, an awareness of where they kind of go to seek redress mm. if if something's gone mm. wrong. So obviously, in our case, any if you want to make a complaint under the Editor's Code about any of our regulated publications, you can come to IPSA and you can do that. But certainly for kind of the, the wider internet, that's not actually the case in, in many yeah. instances. And frankly, I mean, it is a big ask to ask of readers to understand that complexity. You know, there's a there's a lot to place on people who are consuming whom. I mean, it'd be really interesting to know to what extent do people distinguish between an article that they might see on. Let, let's use Twitter as an example, an article that they might see shared on Twitter, which comes from the BBC versus a random news website from out in Mongolia. 
you know, kind of do, to what extent are people mm. distinguishing between those or because it's all coming on Twitter or it's all coming on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the platform, there is no distinction because it's all coming through the same mechanism and therefore it's all considered in the same way. Mm. But yeah, I think, I think absolutely. I think this is absolutely the areas in which regulators and those who are producing content need to be educating readers, need to be talking to them about what quality means and as you say Vicky about where to go if people want to make a complaint have concerns all of that but that's easier said than done in situations where the content is regulated in the first place Mm. I mean I just want to talk very briefly at the end of this podcast about um, what IPSA is actually doing about this I mean we're the regulator of the majority of the newspaper and magazine industry in the UK Um, it's certainly kind of media literacy is one of our priorities Mm -hmm. for this year certainly something that's very important in our work i mean we definitely want all citizens to have you know appropriate levels of media literacy to make those decisions about the kind of content that they want to access um and as you said charlotte that could be any kind of content the the rate our list of regulated publications is incredibly vast but kind of how are we raising awareness of this so I think there are two key areas in which we're doing some work. I think you've touched on kind of raising awareness. And I think this is really, really important. Just we need to keep on communicating. And it's a kind of an ongoing communication piece about the fact that, um, you know, Ipso exists and newspapers and magazines that are members of Ipso can use the Ipso mark, which we launched in Gosh, it was December 2017. I thought that was last year. Um, (laughs) Which we lost in December 2017, which some of you listening to the podcast may well have seen it. It features in lots and in about over 66% now of the newspapers and magazines that we regulate, which is fantastic. And we want to get it in more. But basically, the purpose of the mark is to say to readers, this publication is regulated by Ipso. This means that the publication adheres to a set of standards called the Editor's Code of Practice. And if you as a reader think that it doesn't, you can come to Ipso Um, and make a complaint if you want to or to get some advice and I think that's really important also it was last year as well we ran some adverts which again people might have seen um, in in national newspapers talking about our mark but I think raising awareness of Ipso is only kind of one part of the work that we're doing Um, Danielle touched on the public information leaflets we produce and actually I think that's the other side of the piece is trying to put across messages and trying to raise understanding amongst members of the public on what journalists can and can't do because I think it's fair to say that as with a lot of professions you know what you see on film in terms of what journalists can and can't do is rarely an accurate representation of how journalism actually works in in practice in in reality so we've got public leaflets explaining things like what journalists should do when they're reporting on on a death, you know, thinking about court proceedings, kind of issues that we see coming up and we work with our readers panel to make sure that they're clear. But the leaflets aren't the only thing that we do. We have some videos. In fact, this whole podcast is all about media yeah, literacy. I was, I was just you about know? to say, you, know, oh, certainly you listened to the, to the last podcast, which was about our, our guidance yeah. on children, it certainly kind of covers lots of things that actually some people find mm-hmm. surprising mm-hmm. about uh, how yeah. children can be reported. Sorry, right? Vicky, I, I stole your, just, your just piece. I jumped right on that. <laughs> Sorry about that. But yeah, but I think, I think but it's, again, it's about an, that ongoing conversation. It's about raising awareness and it's about doing it in a way which is clear and accessible, which is why, you know, we have the readers panel because we need to hear the voice of readers in what we're doing and make sure that what we're doing addresses concerns, issues and points that readers might be worrying about. Sure, and I think um, 
as as part of the readers panel and we as somebody in in general who has an interest in, in media and the changing media landscape as as, as many as the, list, the listeners will um i think i've been surprised just how much um ipso is actually helping journalists navigate that complexity and i know in the past few weeks there's been a lot of criticism about how online platforms encourage this sort of this race to get news out and 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 sort of increases bad journalistic practice which may may or may not be fair speaking specifically in relation to the Christchurch terrorist attack which really showed what happens when um you have this this mixture of unofficial reporting and official reporting and, and different different sources involved and um just going back to Ipso's work one positive i think is that um i was fortunate to attend a lecture given at the Royal Statistical Society last year which really highlighted to me just how complex it is um for journalists and i'm glad that you mentioned the Ipso lecture because then that gives me the opportunity to do a little <laughs> plug for the next Ipso lecture um which is going to be on the 24th of april and it is going to be given by sarah khan who is the um commissioner for extremism um and you can find details about that on our website or on eventbrite as well um danielle and charlotte thank you very very much for joining me today to discuss this um, we hope that you have enjoyed this podcast, listeners, and do come back for more.